0: Uh, good morning. My name's Melanie, and um, I get the pleasure and the privilege of talking to you this morning about Jesus. Um, I'm going to, let me put my phone out so I can see the time. Um, I'm going to talk for half an hour, and then we're going to share bread and wine together. Uh, before we share bread and wine together, I would like us to pray for Mike and Fliss and their family, and some stuff they've got going on. So I'm gonna preach, we're gonna pray, we're gonna take bread and wine together, the kids are gonna come back in, and then we're gonna picnic. So it's a great morning, really. Oh, I love that we're putting out more chairs. If you haven't met me before, my name is Melanie. Uh, I'm married to Stuart, who's the leader of the church. I'm a mummy of two wild and wonderful little boys who are called Levi and Asher. Levi is four and Levi is two. I spend most of my time taking care of them and training them and developing them into mighty men of God. Um, And I spend a bit of my time uh, doing church work. I look after the kids' work. I preach a little bit. And I do anything else, really, that Stuart says, can you have a look at this for me? So... I wouldn't say I'm his PA, I would say that I am his partner in the mission really, so he would probably say I'm his PA though, so um, you heard it here first, that is not who I am, eating with Jesus, last week Stuart spoke to us about uh, the Last Supper. And what it was like for the disciples to sit down with Jesus and take bread and wine. And we had a table laid out that was very rustic and farmhousey looking and chunky pottery. And this week, we're looking at the wedding feast, so our table looks a little bit different. And we will be lavish this week with the wine. So when we take communion, my expectation is that we'll have a big old glug of some very nice red wine. The one warning is my wedding dress is standing up here. If you want to see a grown woman scream and cry, spill red wine on my dress, okay? Uh, This morning, my boys have both gone up to it with hands with bits of chocolate muffin on and gone, oh, look at your dress, mummy. I've been like, (gasps) Uh, So there is no chocolate muffin on it yet. I would like there to be no red wine. Uh, For most of you, you'll have been to a wedding, so raise your hands and wave at me if you've been to a wedding before. Raise your hands and wave at me if you went to your own wedding. Lovely. Uh, For all of us, weddings are brilliant events. I have to say, until you have small children and then they are like, how do we make it to dinner, to the evening without our kids utterly melting down and wrecking the whole day? So, um, But they are amazing events. You get to see two people get married and you get to feel the presence of God in a place because I, I think God just loves marriage. So I think wherever you get married and whatever you do, I think God is there because he just loves marriage. He put it in place. Um, My husband, though, is always interested in not what the bride is wearing or what the flowers look like in the church, but what we are going to eat and at what time we are going to eat. I have to go to weddings, which prior to having kids, I used to have to go to weddings with a snack bag for my husband because... You never eat at the time that you are actually hungry at a wedding. It's always a long time after when there are maybe three hours worth of photo and you are literally wilting because you haven't eaten since breakfast. So I always carry with me a flapjack, a banana and a drink so that Stuart can keep going until we get to the main event, which is the food. Now I have children. I just throw in, like, you know, a bag of Christmas and buttons and we're all covered. And the main event, the food. Recently, um, Anna and Joe got married. And um, we sat down at the table. There were sweets on the table. It was such a good day. So the appetizer was chocolate. And then you got into the food. And it was good food. And we feasted uh, we went to a wedding, which was a Sri Lankan wedding, a friend of mine, and they'd uh, flown in caterers from Sri Lanka. And my goodness, it was a sit-down for 450 people. It was it was outrageous. What we hadn't worked out is every time you finished what was on the table, someone appeared and refilled it, and they only stopped when you stopped. So we, in the starter, we were just thinking oh, this is amazing, kept going, then we worked out, if we just keep eating, they are just going to keep filling, so at some point, we just kind of pushed our plates aside, and the food stopped appearing, lavish, beautiful, amazing food, at at myself and Stuart's wedding, we had been to lots of weddings, like you do when you're around lots of people in their 20s, and 30s, and 40s, you go to lots of weddings, so we've been to lots of weddings, and eaten lots of fancy food and some food that we'd not really like. And so we were like actually what we want at our wedding is we want we want meats and salads and cake. I wanted profiteroles, I wanted pavlovas as like, I don't want any like fancy fish terrine or like I want proper food. So we we had a wedding where we wanted to have everybody who came to the wedding come to all of it. So we were like it's one invite and you get to come to the whole lot, which freaked my mum out. And we were like, actually, this is the kind of food we want. And we want it to be a banquet. We want not to run out of anything. We just want it to be over-the-top, yummy food that people can just keep eating, eating, eating until they're stuffed. And it was such a lovely day. And um, I did eat, like, a big piece of pavlova that one of my friends had made. And it was just a lovely day. But I can remember lots about the meal and the banquet and the time we spent chatting to people and and just the atmosphere, really. So if you've got a Bible with you this morning, open it or get it out on your iPhone or your iPad. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay because I bought mine and I'll read it to you. I'm going to read from Matthew 22, 1 to 14 Matthew 22, 1 to 14. This is where I look at it and go, is this the right story? Yes, it is. Good. It's called the parable of the wedding feast. The word parable really just kind of sums up a little story with a big idea. So Jesus told these all the time. He was forever telling parables and saying, you know, kind of have you heard the one with the bride and the groom? And he was forever telling little stories he paused for breath, and a little story would come out with a great big idea, kind of thing that would blow you away, or you'd be confused about, or you'd be questioning. He did this all the time. Um, I'm convinced it's why we love stories, because something in the heart of God has just put that in us, that, that our kids just love to hear stories, that we love to hear a good story. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and his servants and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come again he sent other servants saying tell those who are invited see i have prepared my dinner my oxen my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready come To the wedding feast, but they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops to destroy the murderers and burn the city. Then he said to His servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Therefore go to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Where I would like to stop is there. Where I must continue is here. So, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw... There was a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, "'Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment?' And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, "'Bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. "'In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, "'for many are called and few are chosen.'" the story says that the king is ready. We're to believe in the story that basically the king is God, that basically the king is the father, that he has set before his people a wedding feast. And when you skip to the book of Revelation and you read about what John saw when he took a peek into heaven. You can imagine that this feast was lavish, that this feast was over the top. You can imagine that every detail had been looked into, that that the food would have been delicious, that the smell would have been outrageous, that the wine would have been the best, because we're talking about God, and we're talking about someone who doesn't mess around. He's not a god of cheap and cheerful he'd not shop in Aldi even though that's where i shop he would be a waitrose man he would we're talking about someone who is going to provide the best he's got his best meat ready he's got his best wine ready he's got the tables laid it's gorgeous he's saying the sun is ready and and i don't think it takes a lot to believe that the sun is jesus that the bridegroom is ready, so he's suited up, uh, like uh, when we walked into the wedding for Joe and Annas, like Joe was there ready. he wasn't like with his hair all scruffy and his shorts on and like his you know super dry top, just like sitting around. He was dressed, the smartest I've ever seen him, <laughs> amazingly looking like sharp and ready and waiting. A groom doesn't arrive at the church and think, well, I'll take a shower now. I'll just grab any old clothes that are off. A groom is ready. And this story is saying the son, Jesus, is ready. He's dressed. His hair's done. He's prepared, ready and waiting for his bride. And the feast is ready. The most amazing food laid out before us, the most lavish, over-the-top, gorgeous-smelling food laid out before us. And it's all ready and waiting. And the kind of question that goes out is, why isn't that room full of people? Why aren't they queuing at the door? Why aren't they clambering to get in? Because the king of all kings has prepared this feast. The king of all kings has laid the table. The king of all kings has his son ready. He's already sacrificed the meat that is there, ready and waiting to be eaten. So when you read the story, the questions that you want to be asking is, why are people going back to work? Why are people too busy? Like, what's going on? Why are they too busy doing something else? Why are they too preoccupied? Why are they too important, too religious, too, well, stupid to realize that the king has laid a feast out? In the story, we're to believe that, that it, he was talking about the Jews the chosen people, the Pharisees, the, the, the religious people, the ones who walked around looking like they had it all sorted and they read their scriptures and they knew everything and they understood everything. And they were so clever that over and over and over and over again they missed the Son of God. They were so nosy in their books, so interested in all the little details that they missed the King of Kings who's, who had laid out a banquet ready for them. It's a warning to us, this story, in so many ways to not do certain things. It's a warning to us not to be so busy in our work life that we miss God, not to be so preoccupied with, I've got a career, I've got to move on, I've got to achieve this, I've got to do that, that we miss the Saviour who invites us daily to a banquet, who invites us daily into an amazing relationship, to not be so fixed on, but I've got this I have to read, this I have to do, I have a to-do list as long as you arm. I have books I have to read, I have studying I have to do before I can see the king, before I can come into this amazing place. It's a warning to us not to be too religious. That we're saying, oh, oh no, God, I do it a certain way with certain things in a certain place, and I can't possibly encounter you here in my workplace. I can't possibly see your kingdom come in my school, in my college, in my home, because surely I have to do that in a proper place, in an appropriate place. It's a warning to us not to be too busy, too important, and ultimately too stupid, that we miss the King of Kings invitation. And I think if you're a Christian in the room, you get that invitation daily to come into what can only be described as a wedding feast, to come into the best stuff possible on a daily basis, to not just go to work, to not just look after your kids, to not just go to school or go to college, to not just live a mundane life, but to actually go as if you're part of the wedding, to be prepared for the king to show up and do amazing things. That's, that's what we get invited into, to not be so busy that we're like, actually, God, I don't have time to read my Bible and spend time with you because I've got very important things to do today. To consider actually the invitation to come and be with him and spend time with him as the most important invitation you will ever receive. My friends who, who um, are Sri Lankan, when they send out a wedding invitation, everybody comes. No one replies. Everybody comes. And I, I remember saying, are you not at all freaked out that there may be empty tables? And the family said, no. When you are invited to a wedding, you cancel everything else and you get there. So people flew over, people canceled stuff, and literally everyone was there. Because when you are issued an invite and you are invited into someone's private moment, they're, they're probably one of the best days of their entire lives You don't say no to that. And to me, that's what it feels like. When the King of Kings issues an invitation for us to come, we don't say no to that. We don't say no to the King who is so lavish and so over the top and so generous with us. We're not tight with him. We're not tight with our time, our money. our. We're not tight with the one who is so over the top. With us. When he says, come, we come, it's a little bit like when you are actually saved. You might describe it as I found Jesus. Reality check, he found you and called you to come, gave you the faith you needed and the courage you needed to step forward and choose him. So you did choose him, but he gave you everything you needed in order to do that. It's that kind of invitation. It's you come to this and you just find yourself coming. And that's that's what we're invited into. It is a privilege and an honour to be amongst those who are invited in. You then find this this nightmare scenario, really, where I, I don't imagine that Philip and Wendy got to the wedding day of their daughter Anna and thought, when they opened the doors, no one's going to be there and no one's going to walk in. Like, can you imagine that being a parent? swinging open the doors and not a single person that you've invited walks through them and there is no one. The car park's empty, the church is empty, the banqueting hall is empty. You have all this food, you've spent all this time, you've been lavish and no one is there and what the king does in this story is he says, all right, go and find me some people. I will not have my son turn up to this. Go and find me some people and go anywhere. Go into the streets, pick them out, call them to come. Bring them in, fill the tables, fill the chairs. Make sure every seat has a person in it. Make sure every plate has someone eating off it. Make sure when my son walks in, this place is heaving. And that, that is how we get invited into the king's table. It's outrageous. I I thought about it this morning. I got saved when I was in my early 20s. And it it is outrageous to me every day when I get up and think. I was invited into a relationship with Jesus, with my father who's in heaven, who made the entire world. He personally said to me, "Now you come. And I found myself in my early 20s going, okay then, and coming. And having to change my whole life around because actually it wasn't anywhere near decent enough to stand before the King of Kings. But him saying, that's okay, come anyway. Come as you are. Come dressed as you are. Come swearing as you are. Come mucking about as you are. Come and I'll clean you up and sort you out. And I stepped into a place that was set out like a wedding, that was beautiful and lavish and over the top. And I, quite frankly, looked dirty and spoke differently and dressed differently and could not even imagine how Jesus could find me acceptable to be a part of his party. I wake up every day and don't understand that. And, and most of you look at me and you think, oh, you're quite nice. I literally, I remember saying to Stuart once, if you'd have met me in your early 20s, you'd have never have asked me to marry you. You'd have never even liked me. And because actually, lots of stuff about me was just not nice and needed a saviour and needed someone to sort me out. And so I came just as I was off the streets, into the banquet, that, like that's what it looks like. That's what church should look like. Off the streets, into the banquet, aware of the presence of God, my whole life starts to change. And I start to realize that these clothes are no good, so Jesus says, okay, have these brand new ones. This attitude is no good, okay, have this brand new one. That filthy language is no good, okay, have this brand new one. Like, everything starts to alter. This wedding hall was full, but not full of people that you would have expected to be at the wedding feast of a king. So they would have just walked around going, can you come, can you come, can you come? So you know you would have been like in your in your boyfriend cut jeans and your t-shirt with something you know ridiculous written on it and your sunglasses in your hair and your flip-flops on and and you would have been invited in to something outrageously lavish and outrageously over the top if you've still got your bibles out or your phones out or your ipads out or you know your whatevers can you turn to revelation 19 if you don't i'll read it to you Revelation 19, 6 to 10. So this is a little foretaste of what it looks like at the end of time. It's a little glimpse of heaven, Revelation. It is beautiful and terrifying says this, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. So if you think it's noisy in here with 20 real life wild kids running around, you wait till you get to heaven. That is, there is going to be noise there like nothing else. Personally, I think God is being kind to us and getting us ready. So he's allowing us to have some of the most outrageously loud and energetic children that he could possibly find on the planet so that our ears are ready for what is to come. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright And pure, for fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write these things down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, He's talking to an angel at this point. He said, You mustn't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. At the end of time, there is a banquet laid out that is lavish, over the top, massive, noisy, delicious. That the the lamb who is Jesus is in a is the groom is attending, and the church is the bride. And it's it's outrageous. It's a party like you've never partied before. It's it's generosity like you've never seen before. It's, it's just outrageous. And what Jesus is saying in this story is if those who would call themselves the chosen ones, the religious ones, the whatever ones, if they won't come, then go and find me people who will. And I feel like that's our job is to go and find him people who will it is not our job to decide who is good enough for god clean enough for god ready enough for for god it is our job to go and find those who will come our job is to issue an invitation over and over and over and over again our god is our job is to get out on the streets and go will you come will you come will you come it's not our job to decide who gets to come, and I'm really glad, because what my life looked like, people would have looked at me and said, she would never go to church, when I first started telling my friends that I was going to church, they thought I was joking, so most of them laughed, and I would have to like say, "Over, no, I really do go to church, because most of them just thought it was a joke, I would not have looked like a person who should be in church, I probably do now but that's because I've been in it a while. I would not have dressed like it, sounded like it, acted like it, but I am grateful to God that someone said, will you come? 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 That's our job. Our job is to go out onto the streets and find people to fill the great multitude. We don't save them, We don't convict people. We don't we certainly don't go around going, you're so disgusting, you need God. That's not our job. The Holy Spirit is so capable of saying, You're so disgusting, let's sort you out. And when he does it, it's beautiful. Like it 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 thoroughly transforms our lives. When he does it, it's breathtaking. And it is dealt with like that. I've seen people stop swearing, give up smoking, give up drugs. I've seen people give up some of the most revolting habits in an instant because God has said, I'll have that now. And I would include myself in that list of someone who knows what it's like for God to say, I will have that now. When he issues an invitation, when he says, come, only the stupid stay working. Only the stupid ignore Those who know that it's the king, come. And those who know that it's the king, when he says, put that down, do it. Because he's God. And, And sometimes in our kind of churches, we lose that kind of awe of who he is. Because he's my best friend, he's my mate, he's Jesus, I can do whatever I like with him. He is also the king of kings. He's also the one who throws the banquet who has the sacrifice he like he is also one that we fall down on our face in awe of that we can that we can't speak because he is god he's that as well and when he says come when he says drop that when he, we go okay god and we do I think it's really important when it's when we're talking about some of the people you'll be thinking about already will be your nearest and dearest people. And you'll just be thinking, but that's very well, but I can't imagine this and I can't imagine how they would ever do that. So some of you will be thinking about your brother or your sister or your mum or your dad and you're just thinking, I just can't imagine that. Or one of your best friends. Trust me, when the king says come, people come. And we have to be the ones issuing the invitations. And we have to not be shy about it and held back about it and ridiculous about it. We get to walk around going, will you come to the wedding? Will you come to the wedding? Will you come to the wedding? It would be the equivalent of Philip and Wendy. It would be the equivalent of me and Stuart turning up to the wedding and Philip and Wendy going, no one is here. Will you go and find me some people? We'd not walk around the streets going, "Uh, maybe, no, not, uh, no. We would literally say, you come now. You come now. She's going to be here soon. He's going to be here soon. You get in. It, that, it's that kind of job we're being asked to do we're being asked to go out on the streets and say come now come now, come now, come now and if people say no, okay there are stacks more people out there Sutton Coldfield is a borough of Birmingham with over 100,000 people if we exhaust that list of people then we can probably start going oh no one wants to come but we're not there yet so think about it, when was the last time you invited someone to church? When was the last time you said, take a seat and let me tell you my story of how I met Jesus? When was the last time you said, can I pray with you? Can I tell you about my God? That's how we issue the invitation. We say, come into this place and hear about him. Come into my life and hear about him. Let me bring the kingdom of God in and pray for you. That's how we issue invitations. That's how we say, come. And then lastly, you don't get to sit at the table in the banquet without being invited by Christ. So we get to issue the invitation and go, come, 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 come. You don't get to sit in the banquet or at the table unless you've been invited by Christ. You have to wear the clothes. So you noticed in the story, they've invited anybody in off the streets. So you imagine at that time, they were probably dusty, dirty, probably wearing things that resembled more a sackcloth than a wedding outfit. But amongst that group of people, the king says, You, what are you doing here? What are you wearing? And probably everyone's looking around and going, well... He's wearing dirty clothes just like us. He, like, what are you talking about? But amongst the group of people who came, God said, you, what are you wearing? It was clear that even those who seemed to randomly come were not random at all, that God knew them. So even though you might feel like it was a random set of coincidences that you ended up here this morning or that you ended up being saved or that you grew up in a Christian home and all I heard about was God and it's just so boring. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's my story. It's, it's lame. It's, uh. It is no random coincidence that anybody gets to sit around the table with Jesus. You're there because he knows your name. You're there because he called you. You're there because when he issued the invitation, be it through a random person who came up to you in your street or your mum or whoever you came. But it is also clear that some people have not come dressed right. So when I turned up to my wedding, I wore this. I literally, oh, I just love it. Um, I wore this. I hang this on the back of my door in my bedroom. I like to be reminded regularly of a beautiful day that transformed my life. I like to be reminded of my friends and family who were with us, of the presence of God that was with us, of the food we. Had. I just like to be reminded. So it sits on the back of my door. My boys chat about it. Levi's always saying, oh, "I love your dress, mummy." I used to put it on regularly and just kind of walk around the house and then take it off and hang it back up again. It's the most fun ever. If you've not done it for a while, get your dress out. Walk around. It's great. Uh, I've never really been a Disney princess kind of a girl. Like When I was little, I always thought I wanted to be a boy. So to wander around, like I, I just pretend I'm a Disney princess. I'm probably going to go home later and stick it on. When I turn up to my wedding, I wore something like that. I didn't wear something like this. When you turn up to weddings, you know, outcome, I don't normally wear dresses. Joan Anna's wedding, I wore a dress, you know? I Normally, the legs are in slouchy jeans or slouchy cut-offs or, you know? You wear stuff that that's... Says, I'm doing something special, I'm doing something different, I'm clothed differently. And the Bible says that when you are saved, you wear stuff that that sets you apart, that clothes you, that makes you different. In the book of Revelation, it's described as kind of garments, white linen garments that the people are dressed in, like head to foot. I don't imagine in heaven we're all going to walk around like you know angels in white robes literally it's a picture of people who look different who've been cleaned up who who know what it is to have their sin washed away it's it's a picture of of purity of righteousness of they looked different in the natural like like you're all dressed nice this morning but you know I have to be honest, it doesn't look like anybody apart from, you know, a few have made a big effort. You all look nice. What Jesus is talking about is white robes that set us apart. Not literally that we would walk around in these white robes, but that we're dressed in salvation that sets us apart. That in a room, you'd be able to see these people spiritually. You'd be able to know, I bet they're a Christian That in a workplace, she'd be able to scan it and go, he's the most loyal, generous, hardworking person in this place. I bet he's born again. She's the most encouraging, uplifting, outrageously generous mummy on the playground. She never gossips, she walks away from it, she shuts it down. I bet she's a Christian. It's those kind of clothes, they're kindness and generosity, and beautiful with how we speak, and it's the kind of things that if you were a boss, people who would work for you would think you were fair, they would think that you were generous and kind, and that you wanted the best for them, not that you worked them to the bone, and that you drained everything you could out of them, and then sent them out the door and said, off, off you go, and I'll pay you rubbish, is the kind of clothes that when people look at us, they go, whoo, they are different. When Jesus walked around the room, he knew there was someone in there who was not wearing the clothes. And I would say to you today, if you are not saved, if you are not born again, do not turn up at the wedding feast and wing it. Do not walk in in your slouchy jeans and printed T-shirt and hope that your good works or your good deeds or your prayers by your bed at nighttime are going to be enough. Do not do it. Make sure when you rock up to the wedding feast, you are wearing the clothes of salvation. Jesus himself said, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. So you must repent of your sins. You must Thank Jesus for his sacrifice on the, sh- the cross. You must accept him into your life. You must take on board eternal life. You must be dressed in something different. And that doesn't mean that you can't wear the kind of clothes you like wearing. What it means is you are dressed in God. You are clothed in him. You look different, sound different, but you still walk around like this. If your name is not on the list... You're not coming in. And that's that's the reality. And we have to be clear about that with one another and be clear about that when we are communicating the gospel to our friends. It is a gospel of love. But because love is... So I love my boys outrageously. I literally... My heart hurts sometimes. I love them so much. Um but i would not love them properly if i did not discipline them because it, these things all come together i would not love them properly if i did not warn them if i did not train them if i did not so love love is not just lots of hugs and kisses and rubbing your belly and saying you're race and fantastic love is also saying don't do that stay away from that love is also that behaviour is unacceptable. That's love too. And it's it's the best kind of love. If you've been loved by that, like a pet pa- if you've been parented like that, you will know it is good kind of love. I had a friend growing up who, her mum and dad, we always went to their house to have parties because her mum and dad didn't care. They worked crazy hours and they had a great booze cabinet. They worked crazy hours, they would go away at weekends, their house was the party house. And we all thought it was outrageously good. My parents, my mum, wanted to know where I was all the time, who I was with, what I was doing, which I just thought was such a bore. And I thought, like, basically she hates me, wants to spoil all my fun. My friends, we were all jealous of this girl, until one night I remember her saying, I just feel like they don't care, well, I never felt like that. I knew my mom cared man. I knew she cared enough to ground me regularly to to discipline the heck out of me. I, I knew she cared i never i've never doubted that my mom loved me or cared for me. I knew it. I knew it in her love, her action, her discipline, her words. I knew it. I still know it to this day. this girl didn't know it, and what we thought was brilliant because she could have this wild time she Lacked love, and I know that now as a parent. When God loves us, He disciplines. He provides for us a framework that that there will be things that He said that is unacceptable and that is good. Salvation looks like that. It looks like us repenting of stuff, taking on board the things that He challenges us about. That He says that has to go now. That can't stay anymore. Salvation is outrageous so the king is ready the sun is ready the feast is ready are you ready are you ready with invites are you ready to issue the invite are you even saved like if i can make an appeal this morning for goodness sake get it sorted out if you are sitting here not saved sort it out come before the god of the universe and say okay I'm ready now. I hear your invitation and I will come and I will eat your food and I will drink your wine and I will wear your clothes and I will do things your way. And I can promise you that it will be the hardest decision you've made and the best. It's what someone told us when we went to get married. They said this will be one of the toughest journeys you ever go on and one of the best. They were not wrong. Salvation is the same. One of the toughest decisions and one of the best. So I'd encourage you, be saved. I'd encourage you, if you sit in this room deciding who it is God can and cannot save, repent now. And get issuing invites to people. Start saying, come to church. Like it's not the most outrageous thing you could invite someone to. In fact, it's pretty good. Got fresh coffee, coffee muffins. It's pretty good around here. You get to hear truth, get to sing some good songs and, and worship God. You get to be in right relationship with your creator. It's good. Make sure you're wearing the right clothes. Take a look at yourself. Am I saved? Am I born again? Make sure that when the king says, I want that now, you hand it over. Your bad attitudes, your bad habits Your sinful areas that you know, already you're a little bit uncomfortable thinking, oh man, is she going to start naming some? Is she going to point at me and say, you? I'm not going to do any of that. The Holy Spirit does that. And he's going to say to you, it's that. Give me it now. Make sure that when the king issues the invitation, you come. Oh, check it out. We're going to take some bread and wine. Before we do that, I would like us to stand as a people and just pray for the wrist family and for Erin so Erin has I'm going to read it out bliss because I asked bliss to give me a basically an idiot's guide to what is going on